So yeah, let's let's talk about your uh, <laughs> your, your latest teacher. <laughs> I don't know if you all think of your, each other as teachers, but Emily and I, we oh, I don't know. Sweet. It's that's very sweet. It's hard not to see her as a as a kind yeah. of so sure guru. Um, so again, let me tell the, let me not tell a story, but tell. But if I do tell the story, tell it as if I'm telling it for the first time. So I do have to put a little bit of background. So here I've gone. This was four years ago. And this is such a class. You know, this is where anyone who just wants the perennial wisdom says, oh, this, you know, this is dog bites man. Who hasn't heard this story before? Everything fell apart. Yeah. Okay. My marriage was gone. I started living apart. Uh, interestingly enough, I couldn't, I couldn't get a date, literally. I mean, for years. And this is, you know. I didn't realize that Julie had thrown the cloak of invisibility over me, but at the time I didn't know that. Um, I had just lost I, I, uh, over a million dollars in a bit, my own money in a business, so my life savings were quite depleted, and I was re reeling from the failure of my first real big business failure. I had a number of successes that were quite stunning. And so I've lost my romantic life. I lost that, and then Cohen has you've shown to have feet of clay i've lost that i put 12 years into that tens of thousands of dollars thousands of hours on the board of directors and and all of it's nowhere and i just said i'm going to take some you know, classic surrender because you can't raise your arms anymore you know so in one sense you look so i i just feel it's important that i was brought to that point but i don't want people to think like rose that you have to bring yourself to that point or like the monks say you know the whole point of the monastic life is to bring they say so you hit the wall faster that's not what i'm saying you know to do but it, it was where i was and then there's my heart started to open on a on a few on a few levels it really about my father i had a lot of Deep connect. Just I, I never stopped mourning my father. Forty years later, or more, more. And um, and I called. I was my daughter was in the Waldorf school at the time here in Chapel Hill, Emerson Waldorf, and I was. <laughs> I, I'm not going to bad mouth the school because it's great. I found them very unwelcoming for my new family, and I said, "Hell, this is bullshit." You know, I, I want to welcome new families in the way I wish I was welcomed. And I became the ambassador for my class, and Julie was one of four new families, and. And it's important. I've, I've written a chapter. I don't know how we're going to, you know, plug the stuff that I'm doing, but a chapter or two in an ebook that I've written, which I think I've described this very well. Um, but I called her on the phone and we had this conversation. And I was surprised that every time that we broke through some convention and talked about something more authentic, more real, that she met me and she raised me. And we continued this upward spiral of authenticity and intimacy not romantic intimacy but just human intimacy and she never backed down and i waited for the back down because then you get the end of there my god you know this is strange i don't know i'm a man she's a woman you know there's something going on here if i trespass and i thought well this is interesting and we were we remained friends and then we we met and interestingly enough there was no i, I don't think she she was just coming she was just in the process of getting divorced she'd already separated from her husband I was already my my divorce was final, well final, but and I and so I can't say I wasn't a little bit interested. My God, this woman's so crazy. And I met her and I said, there's, there's no physical attraction here. So, you know, I just I just said to hell with you know. Okay, great. And we were friends. And then I was in Denver, uh, interestingly enough, at an Enlightenment board meeting. And without getting into all the details, suddenly 
the scales fell from our eyes and we were talking on the phone. We were talking on the phone. We were texting. We were constantly in contact. And as Julie said, we didn't fall in love. Our love was revealed. The love was fully formed. It was pre-existent. And we, and we never said, oh, you're my girlfriend, you're my boyfriend, or, you know, we're romantic now. We've crossed the line from friendship to more. We never said that. It was never. There, there was this ecstasy and this joy and this interest and this reciprocity. And, and the reciprocity is in direct contradistinction or, contra, you know, it's direct opposite of hierarchy. There was no hierarchy. Everything was shared. Everything was shared equally. And it may be that, you know, we'll talk more about that later. And, and it just went deeper and more joyful and more ecstatic. And we not only knew that we, that we loved each other and we always loved each other. We knew that this love, we would spend the rest of our lives together. We never said a word about it, about that. And we knew that this love was forever. And that happened in the space of hours and over the course of a couple of days. And I couldn't, my mind, I couldn't wrap ideas around it. That was the beautiful part. Couldn't wrap ideas around it. I couldn't say, well, what are we now? And what does this mean? And how could this be? And what is it? It, Of course it occurred to me because that's the way I am. That's how my mind works. But I couldn't wrap it around it. And I knew my life would never be the same. We knew our lives would never be the same. We didn't know whether we'd have any attraction to each other because we didn't before. And, and it wasn't until the next morning, you know, we said, well, I'll come over and we'll see. And son of a bitch, yeah, there's attraction too. And it's just been interesting. One of the parts of that is just unwinding all of the ideas I had around sexuality and spirituality. Um, and I had tons of ideas and they were all limiting and... Uh, without, I'm not. This isn't going to get into a tantric discussion, but because I talk so much about about that, the because it's also just been kind of a metaphor for all the ideas I had about relationship, love, spirituality, all the all, and and the, of revealing itself in a different way. And we're four years into it. We, we just got married four months ago. I say we're in our second trimester of our marriage. We got the ass kicked out of the first trimester. And what's continued to happen is that life has been and love has been beyond anything that we could imagine. And people come up to us in coffee shops, in restaurants, at the airport, and they will just look at it and they, and they will walk, some will just walk by and some stop and stare and some stop and talk. And they say, what do you guys have? They don't know what they're asking. They want to know what do you, and it's not because we're, maybe we are, maybe we're just hanging out or maybe we're just laughing or maybe we're on our, it doesn't matter. And the love that is, it's like that first conversation, it just keeps building upon each other. It is dependent. There is a, there's a reciprocity of dependence, which is so contrary to what I, when I was totally independent, I could spend 30 days in a cabin to prove I didn't even need human contact, let alone human relationship. The, the curiosity that we know is the, I, I believe the key to, to call it spiritual, you know, spiritual um, inquiry or whatever, seeking, what I used to call seeking is just, I am so, we are so curious about life about love and about each other.
there is an ease to the re, to being in relationship with each other that is the kind of ease that I would go to you know go on these retreats with Cohen on these these you know kind of forced march retreats with Cohen or thirty days in the cabins or whatever to just have an ease of being this a joy of life i'm so glad i have a body after all these years of trying to transcend this body there is a way of of supporting i supporting is such a shitty word there's a way of 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 balancing and filling in and accelerating each other in terms of whatever life brings to us of being able to bring to the other what the other needs there's an us. There is actually, and this is so fascinating. This is something I'm, I, I love to talk about. I don't mm-hmm. know how yeah, much time we have. Yeah, that's but there's true. actually a different, there's an entity, that, an entity, I hate to use that word. There is an organism or an intelligence that has been created that is the combination of us that we fall into or that we come from. That we are, we're, we're separate people. A lot of times we're separate. And a lot of times it's unclear. Am I an I or an I an us? But the us is akin to the collective enlightenment of it's of the flavor of the collective enlightenment that Cohen had, where you experience the qual these eternal qualities that make God so godlike, and make the absolute so absolutely absolute. That is the combination of us together. And then there's just fun. I just laugh. We just laugh. I mean, we were up. There's two of the three nights we've been up from like three to six in the morning and not because we're trying, just talking and laughing. And and it's almost like I don't want to go back to sleep. I'm 66 years old. I'm an old man. You know, I mean, I get look at an old man and I'm and so. So, I mean, I've, I've talked about some of the qualities of it, but more than anything, I know who I am. The, this type of love disrupts your self-image in a way that all the years of having my ego blasted by myself and others could never do because it can't hold the limitations of what of the ego it can't hold my egoic limitations i still know my character i know the parts of me that are not so hot i know them that's not who i am this woman couldn't love that man this man couldn't love the woman the way we love the man that i manifest is not it's it's so it it blows these limitations away because they just can't coexist they're just not true and I think there's also a constant connectivity to something divine in this love that unmoors you from this egoic stuff. So I am no longer trying to become a better person. But I made a promise when I met Julie. I made a prayer when I met when I realized who Julie was. And this, I think, is metaphorical. And maybe if, if we had to edit this down to one minute, or this would be one of the minutes is I've said whatever stands in the way of me loving her more may it be removed. And besides being probably a nice Hallmark card, it's the way I live my life. It's the channel that I'm talking about. So I'll see a part of myself that before, it could be egoic, it could be lustful, it could be fearful, it could be anything that before that I would tackle as a, as a spiritual impediment. It just means I can love more if I can if I can get around this thing. And so these, so I am transforming at a, at a rate. I don't notice if others notice. I do notice a little bit because I am being pulled by love rather than being driven by some self-improvement project, some desire for something else. And it's 
and it's self-confirming. It's self-confirming in terms of the events that come. Our lives are magical in terms of the types of things that happen to us. And it's also self-confirming in terms of the experience because there's just greater and greater love. And I'm not making this up. I just love this woman more today than I did yesterday. And there's more of everything now than there was before. Some things have dropped away. Some of the early, you know, people said, you know, some of the bubbles. Yes, yeah, some of the bubbles have popped, but the love hasn't popped. Mm. It's just transformed into something else. So I, I, this love unimaginable, I think is, I don't know how, I, I don't think it's something peculiar to us. It is in a way that there's something about our destinies and about who we are and us coming together. It couldn't have been with anyone else. It couldn't have been at any other moment in our lives. So I can't say everyone can flip the switch to this. Right. And this brings in every bit of spiritual wisdom that I've accumulated. I was a seeker at 21 and I'm 66 years old now. That's 45 fucking years of looking for truth and really going and, and praying for truth and having the guts to walk away from that, which isn't. And all of that points to the validity of, of this love and of this experience. And this is who I am. I am this, this, this man and I, this is what I want to, this is what I am going to continue to bring out into the world in whatever form the next moment tells me to do. So thanks for letting me do that riff. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot in there we could go into. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, um, my partner, Emily Yeah. and who, you know, and, um, there's some, I feel like there's some parallels, you know, in, in our experience to what, to what you're describing. And then there's some differences mm -hmm. too. Um, main difference being we met when we were, you know, I was 19, she was 21. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we were young, uh, and we're still in yeah. relative terms young. So, but the part that I recognize is the part of meeting, you know, my equal, um, meeting, you know, I think of her as like a spiritual partner, life partner, you know, all of that and more. And more. And more. Um, and it continues, the more continues to be more. Yeah. Um, so that part, I feel like I really understand having been in this very, and, and maybe in some ways I don't even think about it that mm -hmm. much because it's been such the backdrop of yeah. my own life and path. So when I hear you describing that, I think, oh, yeah, 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 I recognize that. And I've been lucky enough to have something you know like that in, in my relationship mm -hmm. with Emily um, you know where our, our main commitment to each other very much through the mind of a 20 you know yeah. 20 year old yeah. was how, how can we you know how can we this relationship be about helping each other grow mm -hmm. you know um, and it's changed it's evolved yeah. from there but mm -hmm. the, in the same way that you described there being this prayer, this aspiration, this almost commitment yeah. that coincides with the relationship. It's a special kind of relationship. Yeah. And not everyone has that. Mm -mm. Um, and not everyone probably will have mm -hmm. that. Um, but may everyone have it. May everyone have it. <laughs> may it. May it become more a part of our experience. And, and may it maybe may the contagion spread quickly. Yeah. That's, that's what I wanna I wanna get more I wanna get more people infected with the with the feel of it and part of what you say it's beautiful man i watched you and emily and it's different i mean you know you guys have a kid and you have a partnership and um but when you say about helping each other grow it's almost like you're articulating you're, you're articulating what love what love already will do yeah because i can't imagine anything you know any way that i would ever hold julie back from anything 
So I'm, it's not to say I'm going to, so I haven't, you know, you articulate that, which is beautiful. And, and with it, it's so intrinsic to the love process that you can't help but want that. You can't even, you can't imagine not. You can't imagine saying, oh, no, I don't want you to spread those wings and maybe I get hit in the face by one of the wings, you know? You just, and 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 it's that reciprocity, that equality. We talked about that radical equality. And this it's such a difference from the hierarchy that you, that I'm so mm. familiar with and somewhat you are as well. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we don't, I say there's there's deference but no hierarchy. So there's a recognition of, of where one of us has talent to bring to the moment or experience to bring yeah. to the moment. But the equality of it isn't us trying to stay equal. It's just we, we it's maybe it's the us that can't separate. We can't unscramble the egg anymore to be unequal. Right. <laughs> Scramble the egg. Oh, that egg's nice. That part's. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's such an attunement. And and I think this is, you know, the, as hard as uh, culturally, as, as much as the struggles are of finding some kind of lack of differentiation and in an equality that it's so entrenched, so many of the things that we are, and it has to happen. I mean, you can't just, oh, I love and therefore the world's going to be changed because it's going to have to manifest in some cultural ways and some, you know, generic, generic, genetic ways and generational ways, who knows what. But, and, and I think if I, if I may with you, part of this is it's, even though I'm living this love unimaginable, I talk about it everywhere, you know, I just spread it, strangers, they can't help it, you know, I got to hear about it that it's still a way of me having my attention and appreciation of letting the reservoir overflow with this love and saying, like, you've been saying, God, what do I, you know, not talking yourself into, oh, I've got Emily, what a life I have. I mean, and maybe it's good to recognize that and to remind yourself and to get your head out of your ass. Yeah. To me, the only time I don't feel my love for Julie is when I have my head up my ass. Mm. And if I'm not loving, I say, my head's up my ass. Simple, one-to-one relationship. So part of it is pulling your head out of your ass long enough to just look around and feel what you what's, what's pre-existent yeah. rather yeah. than projected, which is great. And another part is for me to just sit with the enormity and the beauty and the gratefulness of the life that I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I find myself just being a muggle, you know, and just really feeling, I'm just think, okay, just stop for a second. Don't talk yourself into having a great love affair. Just feel what exists and put like any other aspect of the spiritual life you put your where you put your attention is you know where everything happens you put your attention on the love that you guys have and see where the and not be afraid to sing it out there's i, th- I think there's probably still i don't know, maybe with me there was hesitancy for me to accept the fact that i'm i'm head over heels in love and i've chosen love as my path and love is i i will not have another god before love i don't know what gods will appear in love or reappear through love, but I am not going to sacrifice. One real quick story, if I can. I was working with a, 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 an intuitive up into, and he almost kind of paved the way for Julie in a way with some of the things that we did, definitely did. And then he, and I've always been a guy, you know, you have to choose, you seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Rose said every time you come to a choice between the truth and something else, choose the truth. So I've always, no matter what it was, it would cost me to choose the truth. And this guy said, "You, that's intuitive." Said, "You might have to consider that Julie is just your friend and not your lover." And I said, "Fuck you." I sat with it for a while, and there was part of the spiritual part of me said, "Okay, yeah, this is what I got to do. You know, God first. And there was a point where I said, "Fuck you. I don't give a shit. I am not 
giving this love up for anything, not even the deepest ideas I have about God and the absolute and spirituality. I put my stake in the goddamn ground. And, you know, and that took balls. You know, and I really did because it's like giving your finger to God. You know, it feels to the mind like you're giving your finger to God. Right. But I uh, I don't know where I went with that, but I guess this is the appreciation of what I, I'll, have no, I'll have no gods before my love. I'm not going to substitute any gods for it. So, so, so some of what you're saying reminds me of this old kind of Zen idea of like today today's uh enlightenment is tomorrow's mistake <laughs> um you know in the sense just in the sense of you know you got a million of these things <laughs> you know just in the sense of like yeah your old ideas and conceptions of god were the thing standing in the way of, uh, you bingo ding 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 and i, I think what what i find really I don't know, hum humbling is maybe the right word, or I, sometimes I find it frustrating. It's like I, some part of me knows that I'm also subtly turning what's currently happening into a concept. And I'm not, like you said, one of the ways of avoiding, not avoiding it even, but one of the ways of working with the conceptual mind is to be able to feel things from a different place. Mm -hmm. Um, in the heart or in, you know, for me, it's like been in the belly, you know, feeling things through the and gut. That makes sense for you. Absolutely. Um, and it offers a different perspective, like different information about what's happening. And yet <laughs> there's that always, you know, the, the, the mind encapsulating things, coming up with pithy phrases, turning it, indescribable experiences into some some way of framing and talking about and making connections and you know it's like the mind goes off and starts doing its thing um so i find that that that's really interesting. so let me give you some hope <laughs> let me give us more hope okay. okay i don't want to sound like i'm on a pedestal here a couple of things one is you you can feel the difference and that your value, something Cohen said to me, which was true, but he said it in a horrible context for me. I, it was, it was encouraging me to do something which was really seemingly spiritual, but not very good. He said, your values change. So what happens is, is love, the contagion of love and the self-perpetuating and the self-accelerating nature of love, just like that. That's why I talk about that first conversation with Julia was a metaphor for what's happened is, is, I just find it so dissatisfying. You know, I just find it so, when, I, when I'm in my mind, no matter how brilliant, I love the ideas. I mean, you know, you and I yeah. love ideas. Julie and I, we're up at night just kicking around ideas and creating things and erasing them. I love it. It's terrific. But it, to, to have that as a substitute or as a, you know, for love or just as a different way of putting your attention on the mind, you start to lose your, you just start to lose your fascination. Yeah, and that's maybe probably the purest way to evolve is you just lose your fascination for the things that you were trying to push your way through before. Yes. And you just become more. And I think it's the dropping down into it. You really yeah. start to feel that way. And then also Julie just it won't let me, you know, gets too much and she'll let me know that I'm getting too heady. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think all of this is, I don't know if this is what I'm trying to do because 
just to pitch kind of our brand is the love disruptors.com brand the love disruptors is is the idea of disrupting these ideas mm-hmm. we wanted we there's ways that you need to just the way that that, that reverse engineering what happened to us is all our ideas about love all of them had to be disrupted I talked about sexuality as being just one of the straw yes. men for that. Yeah. You just have the idea that I have to be, I have to be, per, I have to be better. I've got to be, you know, before I can find, be perfect, before I find perfect love, or I've got to be independent, or I know what love is going to look like, or you know, it's can't, it's got to be unconditional, or it's too late. Whatever these ideas are, they're just standing in the way. So as you start to, as you start to shed those ideas, you start to shed the creation of ideas. And you find something much more satisfying. And just like in the perennial wisdom, the mind finds its proper place. Mm. That's beautiful. Just to, that's the first time I've said that, but it's really beautiful. Not because yeah. I said it, just because it's true. Yeah, no, it, it's. I like what you're saying the, about the mind finding its proper place. Yeah, because it's, it, I mean, just even biologically, mm-hmm. you know, what we're calling the mind is a very recent. Mm-hmm. You know the neocortex. Yeah, you know, it's it's sitting atop yes. of a lot, <laughs> billions of years of. The... <laughs> its proper place is like on top, a thin layer on top. <laughs> and it gets all the juice. <laughs> and yet, yeah, that's it's. I guess because it's so recent, it also appears to be more most of more of who we are when it's unexamined, uh, the unexamined. We one of the things we and I've talked about, and I. If I may, I think just personally in our, our our friendship and the love that we share in terms of seeing the next steps and stuff, as I think this trusting of life has been the is yeah that's an interesting that's the that's the let's talk about that so let's and I'm I'm going to make a segue for you because it's the mind doesn't have to trust you yes. know that's much easier to go to the mind yeah. than it is to trust and I when I first came when when Julie's and our love was revealed. I, I got the wisdom. Was told to first trust to trust Julie, and then I'd learn to trust myself. And then most, I can't remember what the adjective or adverb was, but then most importantly, or most beautifully, or most challenging, I would learn to trust life. And that's what happened. Is I, mm. I surrendered my need for Julie for the doubts that would cause me to mistrust and then through that process I started to trust myself I started to see who I was I started to see that these shadows whatever you want to call them were not who I was that I was a man of love and integrity and I cared just so deeply and so purely for people and mm. and, and truth and integrity and then I've I the hardest thing and especially for someone who's got 4,000 years of lineage of, you know, if I'm at home, they're burning down my pawn shop. And if I'm at my pawn shop, they're, you know, the Cossacks are burning down my home. Mm. The Gestapo is rounding up my people. Um, the Jews who trusted life didn't survive. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds stereotypical, or, but it's an oversimple. I see it and I've done enough self-searching to know what how hard it is for a people with my history to trust Mm. to trust life and i'm not saying other people haven't had it rough either i'm not claiming the moral high ground or the boy was i you know the worst we've had it worse than anyone but just saying that trusting life is not something that comes naturally to, to me yeah and there's a lot of me works against all against that and that trust is ev- i mean I, I gosh it is everything in terms of how i relate and how julie and i relate to life 
Um, and it's not just trusting in events. That's good. It's good that I trust that things will work out and that if, if I can follow the channel, it'll lead. But it's more the radical idea that life is good. The radical idea that the universe wants what you want for yourself, except more because the universe can dream bigger than you can dream. That love wants to generate more love. That even that what I'm doing is critically important. I'm not trying to change the world. I just think it might. Not because I feel evangelical and I want to leave the mark on the world. I just think this love is so big and so beautiful. Could it be that I am the man, you know, that Julie and I are people who can help join with other disruptors or what, you know, love who knows? But the whole idea of if, if, if you think and sit about how you look at what's happening in the next moment, is it something to be feared? Is it something to be protected again? Is it something to be guarded against? I was a trial lawyer. I know that mindset really well, where you control have to control every variable because the courtroom could just explode in your lap, you know, at any moment. But to live with a curiosity and a tacit expectation, not a demand that life's going to be good, but a tacit expectation that what is happening is what some benevolent, I don't know if there's a word beneficence, I'll make it up, you know, some beneficence, some goodness is manifesting with you and wants to continue to manifest with you, whether it's another intelligence or just something woven into the fabric of the universe. It's a totally, it changes everything, Vince. It just changes everything. And you can't force yourself to trust life, but you can embrace life. And it, I have an, I have an ease. I have a positivity. I have a, um, contagion, I think, even because I am trusted, because the truth of life being trustworthy is revealing itself to me. Not because I choose between two alternate paradigms and maybe it is and maybe it isn't. The truth of life's trustworthiness is revealing itself. And I could never get here through all the spiritual practice or all the psychoanalytical stuff or self improvement, self actualization stuff. I could only experience life in this way because I trust it, because its trustworthiness has been revealed to me. And I live in accordance with that trustworthiness. Wow, I didn't mean to give that speech, but. So what do you think about that? I mean, I think, I think it's interesting. Um, I feel like it's more complicated than that sometimes. Um, okay. Part of what I'll say is, you know, when I'm working with, say I'm working with a meditation student mm -hmm. and the issue of trust always comes up yeah. in practice and especially comes up during phases where things are dissolving, there's like a kind of disillusionment process yeah. of like I've had some insight and now I've got a, it's almost like identity and life has to realign itself yeah. around yeah, that insight. And it's a very disorienting process, you know, as, as you know, and, and probably everyone listening to this podcast yeah. knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how nice I said, we've all felt our asshole pucker at those moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so part, part of what I've, I've noticed it seems helpful is talking about see how this relates to what you're saying it's, yeah there's there's you know kind of samsaric logic 
which says, you know, if this, then that, like, if I do this, then I'll get this. Or if I think this, then I'll get that. And, and I think that this is where some of the most profoundly narcissistic spirituality exists, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, the secret, you know, it's got elements of the secret or, you know, it's like my ego creates reality. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, which is not what I hear you saying, but I think it could be easily confused for that. Um, which is the the very new age thing yeah. you know that we were talking about earlier that's kind of the new age paradigm yeah. in a way that you are at the center of the universe um and then you know i talk to people about the nirvanic logic which is you know if if saric logic is if this then that the nirvanic logic is just this or just that you know mm-hmm. it's it's the the way of experiencing where you come into contact you know with with experience and its rawness and just open without for for no reason like for no reason other than this is what's here and that in doing that there is a kind of fundamental there's a fundamental trust in what's happening you know in experience itself um and which is also surrender you know it's like it's it's a surrendering into what what is and I think what's interesting about moving between those two is it's, it's about letting go of the idea of what's going to happen next, you know, or almost letting go of the, of, of trying to get some sort of valid validity or verification, external verification to, to give you permission to be with what's there. But then I think what, you know, part of what I hear you describing and part of what I, I sense is beyond that, you know, because mm-hmm. there's, okay, what's yeah, the goal? Is it right. just to be yeah, right. all the time? <laughs> um, it seems like, no, I mean, that's a nice thing to work on and practice. And mm-hmm. uh, that's like what meditation can be useful for sometimes. But then there's something beyond that. Um, because as you said earlier, you know, it's, there there is this sort of creative process. Life is creation and destruction that continues on whether or not we're being with experience or not and maybe there's something in what you're saying how i'm connecting what you're saying to what i've experienced and how i you know try to support other people with the question of how to trust yeah um is you know that when one is being with experience as it is then things are unfolding they're not being impeded by my conceptions anymore they might be being impeded by <laughs> yeah. the environmental conditions. Yeah. Um, so then this is something we could talk about yeah. too, you know, is we exist embedded in larger things that we often can't even yeah. see that are conditioning us. Um, but, you know, so what does it mean to trust in life? I think there's that, there's that trust of just trusting experience, but then there's trusting what, you know, that, that this will work out for the better and what is and what is and what in the hell does that mean (laughs) that's where it gets because i i would say when when it's almost like when i used to talk about trusting life i'd say look what happened you know i met julie and this came over this opportunity came and i was kept safe from this and i you know 10 what five years ago i was told literally i was going to go blind and now i've found the modality that my vision my vision's coming my vision's better than ever you know it's coming back so i could say look at this happened all these miracles happened and that proves that's that's good but i don't want life to have to i don't want to look for life to prove 
Right. That's, you know, that we're, we're stuck again. We're, we're back on the wheel of just, we're, we're demanding proof, validation. And, and then what we're talking about is life revealing itself in the next moment. And the next moment, next moment, next moment, we don't have to go out ahead and say it's safe for me to take this, this step into the next moment. You know, classic Dharma stuff. I would say that, let me just speak to, I don't know, let me, let me, a couple, I had two data points I wanted to, and one is when you talk about the trusting of, you know, letting go, even though you feel like you're going to dissolve or whatever. When I, when, when Cohen's group fell apart, and it was a long, it's a long story, I'll tell you after, you know, off, off camera or whatever, because it's too long to tell on. But we were debating, and I'm on the board, we have to, there's a retreat still planned in Italy, we had an annual retreat, and how can you have a retreat with a fallen guru, right? It's kind of <laughs> a little, and at the same time, the board, as a board members, we realize if we don't have this retreat and give everybody the money back, the whole thing collapses and we can't have an orderly dissolution of light next. Mm. So my board brothers who are quite, you know, they're, they're pra- very practical, they're saying we need to have a retreat. And other people are saying, how can you have a retreat? And I came and I thought, you know, what would it be like to, to be on a retreat with Andrew Cohen if he was actually s- humble? What if all that spiritual power that he has and that transmission and the Shakti that comes through him the God that we've all found as him is somehow in the, the picture with, and I, and so I, you know, I like to think I see as a deciding voice, let's do it, but not because I get the money. I, I just, and sure enough, that's what happened. It was very surrendered. He was surrendered and it was a totally different kind of thing. We didn't have all the hierarchy, you know, and I was sitting one night in, in the meditation hall, late two in the morning, three in the morning, you know, after so there were a few hearty souls would come or inspired souls would come with, Meditation hall was open all night. We were in Italy. And I started to descend. And normally when I descend, I my fingernails go out and I try to grab onto the glass wall. Yeah. And I waited for the response and my fingernails never went into the glass wall. And I realized in that moment, I was more interested in what was at the bottom of the elevator shaft mm. than I was frightened by what mm. might be there. Mm. And I've, Julian, I just talked about this, I think, last night or the night before, that interest and love, it's the same, you know, you can't separate the two, they're one thing. And so, another way to say that you love more, you know, it's, it's the part of the trust, is you can talk, you can't talk someone in the trust, but eventually your love, just like I said, my desire to love Julie more has overcome some of the things that I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to let go of. So it doesn't really answer your question of what you tell your meditation student in the moment, but to me it's a different path. It is, it's a different path. It's a different approach to, to, to what, and, and I want to tell one more story. And again, I'm thinking, I'm hoping I'm not telling too much personal stuff about my daughter who, who I, who I not only deeply love, but is just showing such courage and such character. And as she goes through this part of her destiny, but we were, I was in Utah you know, we talk about how do you can't tell, can't make people trust. And we were, I was in Utah with her and it was time to go to bed and she started to get very anxious as she sometimes does. And I couldn't, I, I wanted to calm her down and I couldn't calm her down. And I said, I started to tell her about how I sometimes just ask the angels to help me. I mean, it's funny that day I'd lost my car keys in the woods right before I was going to drive to the airport and I was running around like a nut. And I just stopped and said, Hey, lead me to the goddamn keys. And I walked over and there in the woods, buried in the leaves are my car keys, you know. And I told her the story. I said, Abby, just ask your angels to calm you down and have you go to sleep. She said, Daddy, I don't believe in that. And I said, okay, I think you do, but it's okay. I'm not going to. And I and, and she kept resisting. And finally I said, Abby, just repeat after me. 
just say the words. Say, angels, help me relax and go to sleep. And she said it like, you know, I had a gun to her head. Angels, help me relax and go to sleep. I said, okay, Abby, I'm going to go on the floor. I'm going to do some yoga before I go to sleep. I'm going to sit for a couple of minutes. You call me if you need me. I'll be right here. I'll be right by your bed. And in two minutes, she was out. No transition. And she slept through the night. So I think, besides just being a nice story, I think there's a way, I'm not saying, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. But I think there's a way that you lead with your intentionality yes. to trust. Yes. And don't wait. For, yeah. Anyway, enough, enough said. No, I mean, I think that's really important. And one of the things I've noticed with meditation practices, you know, it's like you do it long enough and you realize you don't have to go through the steps anymore. You can just, just call up what it is that you're looking to quote unquote develop <laughs> and just, as you said earlier about love, just recognize it's already it's already there it's already present mm -hmm. and you can already be united with it mm -hmm. um, without having to kind of mm -hmm. go th through the g mental gymnastics mm -hmm. <laughs> of <laughs> trying to cultivate right. it or do a technique that's gonna right. like have a byproduct of getting you you know getting you there and i think this is part of your unique gift to there's many unique gifts that you bring and when you brought buddhists and geeks together i mean hell who else could have done that for um, I've met the number of them. <laughs> yeah, but not, <laughs> all right. Just don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, okay? Let's say you're the only guy that could have done it. Um, but the is that you you're you're steeped in practices. Mm -hmm. You know, that's your lineage in a way, and that's your history. It's in yeah. your genes. And I've just found no, pra you know, and I'm at a point of total no practices. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not just you and I, but I mean, I think as you drop down into your belly more, yeah. you're going to find out where do these practices fit in. I'm not going to say right. you're going to find they're all bullshit. I don't believe that. No, but but I have I have found that, yeah, the practices arise from primordial wisdom rather than yeah. leading to it. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. No, it, it's, 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 there's so much. I mean, I could go, we could have another podcast about <laughs> time and what leads, you know, what's revealing itself in advance. But yes, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I can see the, the wisdom, like in the body and the heart. It's, it's like, you know, when there's a alignment with that, that things just flow out of it. And I can see where the wisdom forms came from. You know, but I also can see that that it's um, practicing an old form can sometimes, yeah, it's it can be like archaeo spiritual archaeology or mm -hmm. something. So it's like you're trying to capture this the awakening of the past rather than being whatever right. needs to emerge now. And I've been surprised because when I met Julie, I stopped meditating. You know, all the practice seemed ridiculous. Yeah. And it seemed just so perfect. I'm not going to meditate anymore. I'm not going to do this. You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm going to start eating meat. I love meat. Yippee, I can eat meat again. You know, there was, <laughs> I was a little kid that was left, let out of reform school. And, <laughs> and, and then there's times now where I could feel I need to practice. You know, yeah. I practiced. It's just come, but it's come back as another, as a tool. It's just come back as what's right mm. to quote your. Mm -hmm. quote your lineage a little bit of my lineage as well mm -hmm. and that's just a wonderful freedom because to say no there's no practice that's just as didactic and as you know non-duality duality exactly it's just, total, <laughs> it's just total bullshit
Yeah. I, I remember we were hanging out at my place a few years ago and you brought up this question. It's become like a central inquiry for me. What wants to emerge? Mm. Wow. I remember that. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And I, I, there's something about, I've gone down the emergence rabbit hole you know, in the last <laughs> of course few years. You, would, you love rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> and emergence is so interesting because it, you know, on a conceptual like system theory level, yeah. emergence, you know, it's, it's a concept that tries to describe why things come out of nowhere. Like why we, yeah. these new forms right. arise that we right. can't predict when we look at where they come from. And, and it happens consistently and across domains, um, this process of emergence. But I think it's, it's interesting to think as a practitioner that maybe we can align ourselves with what's tr- trying to come out of the parts, you know, what's trying to emerge from the whole that we can't, some, simultaneously it feels like me, I can't predict what it is because then I would be trying to create it you know, out of oh, yeah. a preconception. Um, and yet I don't also know what it is. So there's a, there's also a kind of fumbling in the dark. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, and it's funny, this is again where Cohen had some real wisdom because his was that, that all evolution is just interest the next moment. It's just all, that's all. Yeah, it's just that's like, a great you know, point. You've got the absolute, which is only interested in the now. Then you get the evolution, which is only interested in the next moment. So it's an, and when you when you stand on that's that threshold, so that's all that's happening. So it's like what's what wants to emerge in the next moment. Yes, and yeah. So I mean, I there was, what was, what I was oh, and and the the part of what he did collectively is it this that seems to happen in a collect that becomes clearer, purer, less less panicked about guessing right or missing the boat and what you're trying to create and just more fluid and um, elegant when it's done collectively so it's much it's just much and that's why i love the relationship i love the love relationship that i'm and then the other thing is mm. i i when you talk you know when, when we talk about the mind i just go back oh my god yeah i don't there's so much less of that in the love relationship there's just so much less attraction to it, and it seems like you just don't need it. It's not my default to yeah, go to. Right. That you can be freed of that in the same way with just what wants to emerge in the next moment. And this, this is like I think the pinprick of life too. You, you might just get the pinprick in the next moment. Is that enough? And the next moment, what might emerge in the next moment is a vision for the next forty years. Right. You know that could be what, what's also emerging mm-hmm. in the next moment. Good point. Yeah. yeah. That seems like one of the big shifts in in the way that spirituality is being conceived of in modernity, you know, and then in modern mm-hmm. times. It's, and I think the New Age movement, in a way, was like it was part of that shift, you know, of putting the spirit, you know, pulling the spiritual path. It's about you, you know. It's not about God or about necessarily. It's not about all these external. It's about you. But of course, <laughs> which you is <laughs> the one in the driver's seat. <laughs> Because, you know, when the individual becomes God, God is dead, now the individual is God. Um, to me, there's something interesting more about putting, as Alexander Bard, who's a Swedish internet philosopher, I like, he said, you know, putting God out in the future instead of in the past is interesting. When God is something that we're moving toward, you know, or it's, it's 
and, and, and this is a little different than I think what we're describing of it's something that's emerging in the moment as love. It's always, I mean, it's never not. I mean, it's never not emergent. What love, what I, and again, this is, I mean, this is just my idiosyncrasy. It's my eccentricity. That's why I'm wired. Yeah. That for me, because love just wants to create and ex- create the next, create more love and create the next moment, just create the next loving moment. And that's to me, to me, that's so I don't have to think about what's what wants to emerge. I mean, I might if I'm mm. working on a business thing or I'm trying to help someone get over a block or, mm. you know, whatever it might be, help my step, you know, son see something about himself, whatever. Then, yeah, I'm going to try to think what, what, and I'll talk about it. And, and because the, the love junkie that the love bug junkie that I am. I feel the emergent and just because I want more love and that love is naturally emergent, that, that that's naturally moving me towards what's emergent. It's naturally attuning me to what is emergent. And the ideas are what stops that dead in the tracks. You put the idea in there, you've just hollered it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you got to stop the train mm-hmm. to look at the idea to see where you want the train to go. Yeah. And you get, we get better and you go, you're, you're really getting, you're, I, I don't know sound patronizing but you're very adept at this i think you're very adept at weaving the mind into the process without slowing down the train sometimes yeah, yeah. better i've gotten better at that <laughs> one can't and to me it's just love is just such a nat, such a natural and beautiful vehicle for being able to do that to be able to examine for love to examine itself while it's just continuing to express itself dave did i tell you that um one of the one of the long retreats that I was on, I was working with the question, what is love? No. Yeah, that was one of the questions I was given. <laughs> I didn't choose it per se. Oh, you were you were lead, you were not leading it? I was working with no, I was on retreat with um Jack Cornfield and Trudy oh. Goodman and oh. I was doing an inquiry retreat, just oh. working with questions, and one of them was what is love? Mm-hmm. And it was a huge revelation for me to work with that question because at first when I started asking it, you know, I had this like feeling and vision of like things being connected and everything loving, you know, everything feeling loving and being loving. And it was felt, it felt very much like what I thought love was. Um, and then it went away, the feeling went away. And I was like, then when asked the question, almost what came up was the opposite of those feelings, like confusion, anger, frustration. And it just kept, you know, I kept yeah. working with the question. All this stuff kept coming up. And at a certain point, I was like, "Damn!" I was like, "I, I this isn't working." <laughs> and so I was like, "Well, maybe I should. What would I do if I were doing vipassana? Because that's like the technique yeah. that I really right. knew, and right. I felt like you know I could handle anything with that technique. And I, I, I would just open to this and notice what was there, and just be present with it. And the moment of reflecting on that, I got that also was love you know that what i had been training in was love it was but it wasn't mm. it wasn't necess- it didn't have the the feeling components it didn't it didn't necessarily matter what was being felt it was the capacity to open to what was that in a way was also love and i guess right now that feels like the, in in some ways the deepest experience i've had of love you know and recognizing it, it wasn't what I would thought. No. What I thought it was. No. Yeah, it's and, and that's the Vipassana master who's just sitting there, just noticing what is, is also loving what is. 
if they really allow themselves to be present with it. And I think this is just a different, uh, who knows where the door is and where, you know. So when you say that, I just feel that that Pasna Wisna is just, this Pasna teacher is, or leader is just soaked in love. He is just soaked in it. And, but his experience of it is not the, what I'm talking about of this, this incredible exhilaration of romance, yeah. you know, of romance and communion yes. and, yeah. and what is, what does it look like for two people to, yes. to come together? Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is, it's like the bridge between subject, you know, personal subjectivity and the intersubjective, you know, the relational realm, because I find that it takes work to translate those personal insights into relationship and into life. Yes. You know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't come with the package. Yeah. See this, this is interesting too, cause I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm in a way I'm new at this in a way I know I've been doing this forever, this love business. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean like the business of love that's new. The fact that I'm in the love business now. Is right. New. I, to me, love is the horse before the cart and that it makes sense of experience it contextualizes my experience and yes i feed ideas into it it needs to be fed it needs it needs i think the love needs it needs to express itself it needs to be manifested in this world it needs to come into the world of ideas and that how one lives a loving life in the world is to me and now it's just driven it's to me i live and i discover mm. i just live love and then i i discover and sometimes yeah i'll have to think in advance about what i i will and won't do but for mm. the most part the connection that julie and i have and what manifests as greater connection and greater celebration and more satisfying and deepening our appreciation and even maybe deepening our love mm. that is what that is how it's to be lived in the world. Hmm. I don't separate. I can't separate out what it's like to live love and then what it's like to live in the world. Yeah, and I, I mean, to me, that's that's like a, a mature perspective uh, or experience. Yeah, I hope so. It's the non-dual we're always trying to do of not separating practice from life. Yeah, exactly. And that's and, and when you describe not needing to practice, yeah, so, sometimes it's like. The, it's, the, it's the you know it's the meditation master that you don't see meditating <laughs> it's really true i mean yeah. they're really yeah i mean not every and you know, not some meditation yeah. teachers they're, they're really you know always disciplined the whole you know with their formal thing the whole way through it's just part of how they express that but yeah the idea that it's not necessary to do anything in particular in order to be to to receive the gifts of life no and, and, and at this point in my life it would definitely be in the way to decide that this has to be a priority what happens next before i can before i can experience life and i don't you know i i i don't know i'm trying to think of um, uh, as the trial lawyer that i used to be you know i'm always thinking what do people you know what i always anticipate the objections you know what people are thinking and saying, yeah oh, i don't want to do that and at the same time i what i want is that i want people to dare to, to God, how can I say this? I'll sound like Tony Robbins or a Hallmark card, okay? <laughs> that Julie is the deepest dream I didn't even know I was dreaming. I had a dream of love when I was a kid. 
so did Julie. I discovered, well, we discovered when our love was revealed to us that I knew I would never be complete without another human being and it tor tormented me. And it's part of the reason I got into spiritual work or got into the kind of spiritual work I did was to try to uh, extract that love from from my life, that dream. And and then when it came true, it was bigger than I could have imagined because the because it was a love that was beyond my mind. And if people have that dream, I would encourage them to have the guts to own the dream and not just sit with it the way you sit in meditation with something that you see that can be painful or whatever, but just sit with it without trying to protect ourselves or, or tease it out and let the love, let that dream sing its song to the, to the universe. You know, when you were talking earlier about the different voices that you have, the voice that I think we, we sing our words with or as are more important than the words themselves. So you sing that voice out. You sing that voice out to the universe. And, and then I think the other, if there's a piece of advice I would give or encouragement, it would be to, to allow oneself to catch the contagion of love wherever that might come from and to allow the universe to bring that dream into fruition and, and our mo and just like all spiritual work quote spiritual work it's by getting out of the way of it being willing to drop the ideas and being willing to let our heart be big enough to think that we're worthy of it or that the universe is good enough to give it to us and then when it comes to just let it overwhelm you because it will overwhelm you it will wash over just the way it will just wash over the limitations of what you think you are what life is how big your heart is how good life can be and and let's see what that creates let's see what kind of field that creates let's see what kind of magic that formulates and yeah i think what and i do believe what julie and i are doing is will is helps and will help bring this into the world and help bring this into people's lives. But it really begins with us deciding what our deepest dream is. Is my is your deepest dream to go off on a mountain and earn a cave and become enlightened? Go dream that dream. Go live it. If that's your dream, go dream it. If your dream is to find a love unimaginable and to live something like what I find myself surprisingly living, then dream that dream and then see what the next moment emerges and emerges and emerges. And I would welcome anyone who wants to be part of what we're doing in the mm -hmm. different forms that it takes to yeah to be part of it. Yeah, I'm excited that you all are com coming out. Yeah, so me too. To speak. Oh, I'm coming out, man. <laughs> I'm coming out with a, with a fire and fury and ease and, <laughs> and elegance. To find out more about Dave and Julie's work with Love Unimaginable, visit lovedisruptors.com. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting buddhistgeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community, and join us in regular social meditation practice, 
or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.